This is this is this is the Bottom Bends podcast. Oh yeah! Hello and welcome back to the Bottom Bends podcast. This is a special episode, still part of our Premier League coverage, but we just thought we would take the early lookings on from the season, and we would just give you one thing that each of us collectively have learnt from the, the Premier League teams in this early portion of the 2023-2024 Premier League. So lads, we're just going to start with Man City. Um, the general point here for Manchester City is no De Bruyne, no problem. And the reason I say that is because Julian Alvarez has managed to step up in such a big way for this Manchester City say that really... They look to be playing their fluid self. Notorious slow starters in the Premier League, but they've won four from four. Um, absolutely flying at the minute. And a big reason for that is to the, the goal contributions of Julian Alvarez. So, Oren, coming to you first. Alvarez, obviously, stepping in for De Bruyne. It's not really a like-for-like like replacement, but it's like-for-likes in terms of the, the goal contributions overall, really, isn't it? Yeah, and in, in, in that sense of the word, yeah, 100%. Um if there's one thing that Julian Alvarez does guarantee you, it's goals. And uh, obviously we've seen that last season with Man City. Um, and, you know, we've seen his numbers um, with River Plate for, for the last couple of seasons as well. You know, this is a player who literally last season won everything you could win, including the World Cup. Um, so his contributions have been absolutely phenomenal to not just his club, but also his country. Um, seeing him step into De Bruyne's kind of like calm position was surprising for me, actually, as well. Um I expected to see Phil Foden start there mostly, um, but you know Pep does prefer Phil Foden out in the wing, and then you know Jack Grealish is playing probably some of his best football in a City shirt as well between the end, back end of last season and the start of this season. Um, so the, the depth and quality at City is ridiculous, and we already knew that. But yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic, especially for City fans. Not too great for United fans to see Julian Alvarez doing so well, especially when he was linked to United uh, under Ralph Rangnick. Um, but look, again, just to go back to the point, you know, De Bruyne and Julian Alvarez, you wouldn't exactly put them both on the same pedestal, but Julian Alvarez is really, really shutting up his critics. Big time. Big time, Orn. Completely agree with you. Uh, just a really, really interesting kind of player. And I, I completely agree, Orn. I, I don't think 10 was the position that I ever saw Julian Alvarez occupying in a Manchester City shirt, but I mean, he is doing it better than, better than most at the minute. And I mean, it was interesting that you brought up Phil Foden there, Oren. Um, it really does sort of raise a bigger issue, I think, with Man City supporters, especially online. And, and I've seen quite a lot of it. You know, the, the, the drop-off that Phil Foden has seen, really from he scored the hat-trick at Manchester, against Manchester United last season. Um, he was out then with, uh, I think it was a flu or something, and then he ended up getting injured and was out for a large period of time. And it seems as though his stock at Manchester City has really lowered and and the minutes have been quite reduced for Phil Foden so Connor I think the question coming to you then is Foden or Alvarez which do you prefer oh they're both quality players even like Foden he played against Newcastle got one of the match you can see the quality that he possesses I, I don't I think it can they can both play in the same team I think they're both you know future world class they're probably nearly world class but uh just a bit more consistency and a few more years but um as i said alvarez last game three assists a goal he stood up for city last year as well anytime they needed him um he can play on the wing he can play in that 10 position uh but like as you said like city losing to bruyne obviously for most teams if you lose your star player it's going to be a tough season but city's depth is just incredible they've lost mores laporte gundogan and they've brought in Kovacic, Doku, and then obviously Foden. And Alvarez has stepped up and they brought in and like just so many players have stepped up for them, even at the back. Uh and I was just gonna say, like, they just look unstoppable. They've won five titles in six years. And I think Foden will have a massive season this year, and I think Alvarez will have a massive season this year. And we're kind of talking about oh, did it depend too much on Holland for goals? And I, I I don't agree with that. I think they just get goals from everywhere, like even Grealish, Silva. Just, just a top quality side. Um, and just again, they look unstoppable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, th- this is their their best start to a Premier League season, and I think it was either four or, or five years. And I, it, you can really see the evolution of their football now. They they've unlocked how to play with Holland, and it is a it's a scary proposition that 
that faces many of the Premier League teams this year and knowing that you have to go and play Man City. And it's not a task that I, I envy of any player trying to stop Alvarez, Foden, Haaland, Grealish, Doku. I, I mean, the list the list goes on, really. Um, so we're going to move it on. Going to go to Arsenal then, lads. Um, look, hasn't been the perfect start from Arsenal, but a win against Manchester United just before the international break, I'm sure, will have been music to a lot of Arsenal fans' ears. The point that I'm making here and that I, I want us to discuss, lads, is that inversion of fullbacks is becoming such a massive part of the way a team's set up now. And Arsenal, in the first three games of the season, experimented with party playing at right back and looking to invert. When that switched to Zinchenko on Saturday, I uh, sorry, the uh, against Manchester United, uh, and the inversion was coming from the left as opposed to the right, Arsenal looked really to be back at their best. So, Oren, question to you simply is, party invert or Zinchenko invert? A, I don't think it's a very fair question, to be 100% honest. I think Zinchenko's played his whole career as, as a left-back, do you know what I mean? So it's not exactly a direct comparison um i think it was more of an experiment because you know we're seeing it with trent alexander arnold more in the liverpool team um going into midfield and you know we see it in, in city's team as well that the fullbacks near enough become extra midfielders and i just think that you know with ben white carrying that little injury at the start of the season i know he was fit to play but um you know arteta was experimenting throughout pre-season with partying right back and you know, it paid off for them a wee bit. Um, and then obviously him being a natural defensive midfielder, it kind of did make sense for the way they were going to play because it did feel, and I still do kind of feel, and I know a lot of Arsenal fans feel based on their social media, that Arteta is really, really trying to do everything to fit Havertz into the team. Um, and I know that a lot of people aren't impressed with Havertz so far. Look, it doesn't surprise me, to be 100% honest. I've never rated Havertz and... Um, I didn't think he was a good fit for Arsenal either. Um, but they're they're trying to get Havertz into that 10 role as well. And, you know, playing him there as well as Odegaard, it means he kind of has to drop deeper. And there just seems to be quite a bit of favouritism. And I think it goes along with the £65 million price tag that they did pay for him. Um, but th- that would kind of be my only argument to it. I think that this inversion of right-backs and their change in their style, especially at the back, has really came to... to try and compliment Havertz's uh, abilities in the Arsenal team, but it just hasn't worked just yet. However, I think we could be talking about a major success story in the same sense if Yuri and Timber was still fit. Um, And it just seems to be the way that Arteta seems to be going for this season, and it is a shame for Arsenal and for Arsenal fans that Yuri and Timber got injured because it did look like he was going to have a really, really big season, and he still could, um, but... You know, it, it did halt their progress um, at the start of the season. Um, but yeah, in terms of a comparison between Zinchenko and uh, Thomas Party, I, I, I don't think there really is one to be made, in my opinion. Well, it wasn't so much a, a comparison between the players as just to the tactical system in the sense that, you know, a lot of teams do tend to invert from the left as opposed to inverting from the right. I mean, the example you brought up there, Oren, of, of Liverpool, of course, they invert from the right and that's solely down to trying to eliminate those um, weaknesses within Trent's game. Um, Sinchenko, of course, was come come through Man City's academy as a midfield player. He probably is a lot more comfortable on the ball. At th- that much is obvious when you watch Arsenal. But, Connor, look, again, just touching on this whole idea of inversion, is do you see inversion being the way that, that Arsenal will target um, how they want to play under Arteta? Is that sort of becoming the, even from, say, last season, is that starting to become the sort of predominant play style that Arsenal wish to adopt, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um Another thing with Sinchenko is he hasn't been fit. He can't stay fit. He's very injury prone. I think he starts on in the Arsenal team every every game if he can stay fit. I think the party one, um, he like Arteta obviously loves party, and I think it is. I think he just wants him in the team, so that's why he plays him in that right back position, plays him in that inverted role. Um, the Havertz one, I, I don't understand why they don't play party in midfield. Drop Havertz. Play Declan Rice further up the pitch and then have Odegaard as well. I, I don't understand that one. Maybe it is the price tag, 65 million. That's the kind of thing I was going to push out. I was kind of thinking like, I know Arteta has talked really well about him and great manager, but I think he's kind of getting in his own way, um, making these kind of weird 
changes playing uh, Kiwar and left back and you know dropping Gabriel who I think is a good defender and he you know he was back in the the team against uh, United and played well so strange um, and I think Arteta the if you look at the results you know they conceded in three of the four games United they were lucky enough to win they dropped points against Fulham at home and uh, I've seen like their clean sheets they've kept four clean sheets in their last like 23 Premier League games Um. I think they have kind of got lucky with a few results and I think Arteta just needs to realise what his best team is and I don't think Havertz in that team is the right way. I think Sinchenko in the team, brilliant player, needs to be in the team. I think Ben White, a right back, is a better choice than Partey because he offers more going forward as well. And I think putting Partey in the midfield, playing Declan Rice further up the pitch, I I think that's the way to go. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one in Arsenal in the sense that, you know, Dakon Rice came out in an interview and said that he feels more comfortable playing at the six, um, which was quite strange because we did all, you know, in our preseason predictions, we we kind of all thought that, you know, Rice was actually going to come in and play the Xhaka role, whereas we've seen Havertz do that. And look, boys, I'm, I'm in total agreement with both of you. Havertz is pants, to be honest. And like... He was when he played for Chelsea and he, he is still now that he plays for Arsenal. And I think Arsenal are sort of hand-tied here because they paid 65, 70 million for him. And, you know, you're not going to pay 65 or 70 million and then just drop him to the bench. You know, I think they are trying to find out a way that complements him in the system. And it's obvious that they just haven't found the correct system that, that suits that as of yet. But look, that's not here nor there. Um, moving it on to Spurs then, lads. Um, so the general point that I have down for Tottenham Hotspurs of the season is that Postacoglu had already planned for the departure of Harry Kane. Yes, it was very last minute. It was on the eve of the Premier League starting, of course, when Harry Kane was finally given the green light to move to Bayern Munich. Uh, in interviews since then, Ange has publicly come out and said that he already had an inkling that Harry Kane was going to leave the club. The feeling around the club was that Kane wanted the move and was pushing for the move so Oren with all that being said Spurs have actually started the season really really well and I think you know myself and yourself we had Spurs finishing quite highly um this season in our predictions um I know you didn't get to make them on the bottom bins Oren but even just conversations amongst ourselves we had very high hopes for Hange and very very high hopes for Spurs so do you think that Harry Kane not being there has maybe allowed Ange to start afresh and maybe build something that we hadn't previously seen at Spurs before. Yeah, you know, I would agree with that to, to sentiment as well. Um, don't get me wrong, I think, obviously, and I think I know everybody thinks if you have Harry Kane in that Spurs team, it does make them better, obviously. He's one of the best strikers in the world, if not the best. Um, but I do feel like it's a bit of relief for maybe some players not necessarily that they don't get to play with Harry Kane or that Harry Kane's gone and that burden's gone not that there was a burden I mean like I mean more so that you know more players are probably going to get a chance to express themselves um I would say that in a lot of teams I know um just going back to quite an old well old enough uh, an example, when Robin Van Persie was at Manchester United, you know, players have come out and said since that, you know, Rio Ferdinand never were saying, Stralik said, get the ball to him. Doesn't matter what you do, just get the ball to him. He'll do the work. And I would say that was very much Spurs' system for the last six or seven years, to be 100% honest. But now I think that these players are going to be allowed to play the football that they were signed for, the likes of Eva Basuma, who was one of Brighton's best players two years ago, um, signed for Spurs. Looked like his career was already away at Spurs. Um, and I would say a lot of people didn't see him staying at Spurs beyond this summer. However, you know, Ange came in and um, worked his magic or whatever and had conversations with him. He came out the other day and said that he told Basuma that he sees him as a real leader in the Tottenham squad. And we're seeing that in his performances now as well. Um, and Ange's system is just a really good system. Like I said it before, whenever he was like managing Celtic, it did not... Once occurred to me that Spurs would not improve under Alan Postacoglu. I thought it was a brilliant appointment that they didn't go for the star name per se, but they went for somebody that would match their style of football. And, you know, he's getting the best out of some players. You know, Papa Sar, whose confidence was kind of shot towards the end of last season, and now he's, he's starting alongside Basuma and putting in great performances, got the goal against Manchester United. Um, I think the, the star that we're all kind of talking about, especially in fantasy, is Destiny Adogi. Uh, at left back he has been absolutely phenomenal for Spurs um, and even 
their goalkeeper Vicario. I had never heard of the fella when whenever he signed for Spurs, and I was thinking, you know, we've seen some of your stats from the Italian league last year. You don't look great, but you know, stats don't say everything, of course. And he's put in some really, really impressive performances. So, yeah, I would say that Harry Kane's departure was well prepared by Ons Postecoglou, and I would say, you know, obviously Spurs aren't exactly a spending club. They don't spend a lot of money. So I didn't see them going and replacing Harry Kane in the limited time frame that they had, and with even with the budget that they would have got from Kane. However, um, yeah, I do think it, it opens the opportunity for a lot more expression in the current Spurs squad. Yeah, I agree. Very, very much in agreement. Um, Connor, obviously, you know, you were sort of the opposite opinion to me and Owen. Um, you were quite concerned for Spurs before the season started. And look, I mean, we still are very early days here. We're only four games played um, before this first international break. But look, I think on, on these early judgings, Connor, you know, you would you would sort of have to concede that, you know, Postacoglu looks like the current system that he's playing he is getting it right. And look, I know the criticism. They haven't played like unbelievable opposition yet. Like obviously the best team that they've beaten is Manchester United. But, you know, wait till they come up against a Liverpool or an Arsenal or, or a Man City. But look, have you been impressed in these early showings from Spurs thus far? Yeah, definitely been impressed. And the way Ange sets a side up, it's really good to watch. Um, Madison, uh, Son, getting a hat-trick last game, Basuma obviously saw some of the improvements in these players sort to be seen. And I still, as I'm going to say, the point you made there, I, I do believe four games, it is very early on, they play Liverpool away and Arsenal, or Arsenal away and Liverpool back-to-back, and that's when we're going to see how good Spurs really are. Um, again, games they have not won for years. Um, I can't remember the last time they won at the Emirates. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see. Even against United, I thought first half United dominated the game. Should have been one or two nil up. Could even have had a penalty. Uh, and I think that's a totally different game. Once they got the goal, they got the crowd up and they win that game. Fair enough. But I still think you can get at them. Defensively, they beat Burnley, who are not good. They beat Bournemouth. They drew at Brentford. And then that United game, obviously the one. But I thought first half, they were kind of all over the place. And very lucky Bruno missed the sitter. You know, the, the handball... There's a few incidences that went their way. Uh, but I, I think it's too early to see. I, I think I am surprised. If you told me they get 10 points from them games, I would have said nope. Uh, because they're missing. I think Harry is going to be a big miss and I will see it towards the end of the season. We'll, we'll, we'll see it. And I think Spurs will drop off a bit. They'll probably finish a bit higher than I predicted. I think I predicted them like ninth. Maybe they'll come like sixth or seventh. But I still see flaws. And, you know, they've got Brennan Johnson in. You know, Richarlison struggling. We'll just have to wait and see with Spurs. I, I think it is too early. Four games is just it's too early. Yeah, it's maybe maybe too small a sample size yet just to get a to get a, a great judge on it. But I mean, look, the one thing you'd say is if you take thirty goals out of a team from one individual player, it's incredibly difficult to replace. And there's no point in saying otherwise. But I mean, from 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 the small sample size we've seen, I think that Ange has actually done a very good job and and being able to to get ten points from those those particular fixtures. And I'm sure they're maybe looking at the Brentford game now and going, uh, that was a game that we maybe could have pushed on in and possibly could have been sitting on on a perfect record at the minute. Um, but yes, look, like I said, too small a sample size. So we're just gonna have to wait wait and see with Tottenham Hotspurs. Um, so going then to our team lads to Old Trafford, um, United. The general point I have here is crisis of the right wing. Um, news broke today that Jaden Sancho is going to be training on his own for the foreseeable. In my humble opinion, I think that's Jaden Sancho's career done at Manchester United. I think if showdown talks couldn't be resolved, then I don't think we're going to see him pull on a United shirt again, to be completely honest. Um, Anthony, obviously has these allegations up against him, so he has delayed his return. And now the only, you know, right wingers that we have at the club are Palistri and Ahmad, and Ahmad's on the injury table till mid October, uh, if the, the doctor's reports are to be believed. So the only recognised right winger we have at the club that's available to play right now, guys, is Facundo Palistri. So Oren, how bad is this for Manchester United so early on in the season? Look, I'm an optimist. Okay, so you're, you, I know you're both going to fucking laugh and disagree with something that I say here, but fuck it, I don't care. Um, I'm an optimist. 
I obviously think we are so lacking in squad depth, apart, especially in the forward line, and I have thought that for the last three or four years, so I'm not disagreeing with that in the slightest. Anthony and Jaden Sancho were both underperforming, I think, um, over the last two years. You know, I did think Anthony will come good, and I still do think Anthony will come good. I have, op- I, I am optimistic about his United career. Jaden Sancho, I'm a full agreement with you, Connor. I think it's dead and gone. I think he had two seasons to prove himself. This was going to be the season that was make or break for him, and four games in, he's said to fuck about, and it's already broken. Um, in terms of Fernando Palestri. You know, we've seen glimpses of this fella. He's only played eight games for United, but in those eight games, he's impressed me every single game. And I would think it's fair to say that he's, he's impressed both of you as well, because he has that raw talent and he just goes at, um, he goes at the at the at the defenders. He, he doesn't. He's not afraid of taking a man on. Um, and I think we've lacked that at Manchester United since really, to be hundred percent honest, since since Rashford first broke into the team. Um, and, and Sancho, or not Sancho, sorry, Garnacho when he first broke into the team. And Garnacho now still does take wingers on. But I think the style of Manchester United slowly gets into our wingers. And, you know, that raw, actual winger ability kind of goes out the window after a few months uh, of, of rigorous training with the first team at United. And, you know, I don't like to see that because, you know, we have seen Rashford's game change. I know he, the confidence was up last year and he was taking on wingers again, but... A lot of the times we were seeing him, you know, do a couple of step overs and then pass it back to Luke Shaw. Um, but I am looking at this with optimistic eyes. Um, I think we'll actually be surprised against Brighton. Um, I think we'll see Alejandro Garnacho start in the right wing. He came on in right wing there against um, Arsenal. Looked like he had won it. Um, unfortunately, he hadn't, but um, that's just the way the game went. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him start in the right wing. Um, however, personally, I would love to see Palestri start. A regular for Uruguay, um, as I said, I've been impressed with all his performances, and I think his style of play and getting to the byline and cutting it back will really, really complement Rasmus Holland's style of play, uh, or Holland, sorry. Um, you know, he is one of them players who is in front of his man at all times. His movement is pretty good. Um, you know, and just from just just from highlights, I can't say you know we've only seen him play for fifty minutes or something or forty minutes, whatever it was when he came on against Arsenal. Um, but, you know, we've seen his ability as well in glimpses. Um, and I, I think he will perform really well this season. And I think, arguably, hot take, I think if Facundo Palestri starts in right wing, um, I think we'd see genuinely more um, goal contributions from Facundo Palestri than we would have seen from Anthony or Sancho this season anyway. Um, and go, the same goes for Ahmad. Um, I think they're both wingers that know the... the the style of play Manchester United is used to, which is getting to the byline, cutting it across for your striker. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in agreement with you, Orn, in the sense that I don't want to see Garnacho anywhere near the right wing because I believe that takes a lot away from his game. Same as if you move Rashford over to the right wing, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I also believe that Garnacho is much better off the bench. Um, not saying that he can't develop into a starter because I, I, I do believe that Garnacho can become one of the, the best wingers in, in world football if he keeps going at the progression level that he's he's moving at. Um, but I think if you move him or Rashford over to the right, you're just you're just eliminating a big part of their game, which is the ability to get inside of the box and shoot across the goal. Or sorry, yeah, shoot across the goal from the left. So I don't want to see him anywhere near the right hand side. I very much want to see Palestri um in on the right hand side. Um Connor, look, just again, touching on this this crisis on, on United's right wing. Look, United in total spent um, 50 million to secure the services of both Palestri and Ahmad. And now with Anthony Delaney's return and Sancho not going to be training with United anymore, could United see this 50 million sort of finally come good? These two players getting a chance in the first team to really sort of stamp down and say, look, you paid a lot of money for us and now we're going to get the opportunity to pay you back. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a great opportunity for the players. I think Ahmed would have definitely got his opportunities if he was fit. Um, Obviously got injured at the wrong time because he really impressed Sunderland last year. Like the championship's not an easy league and I thought he, he impressed. Um, yeah, Palistri, I think they could even play um Bruno in that right, right wing position. I don't think it's his best position, but I can easily see Ten Hag playing him there because he's done it so many times before. Uh, I I would more look. I obviously like obviously the right wing position 
unlucky, obviously Anthony, not unlucky, but these things, like there's been situations, not Ten Hag's fault. Uh, I just look at the way United spent money in the transfer window and I even look at like our centre-backs. That's where I'm more worried because, you know, we're sitting with Johnny Evans and Maguire the last game. Like, uh, it's incredible. And like the money was spent, was spent on Mount. Obviously the new strikers come in. You know, we've got Regulon and Evans. I am really worried about Man United this season. I think the right wing position, obviously, because Sancho, what's happened to him and Anthony is weaker. But I think there's so many issues in this team at the minute. And for Ten Hag to keep this all together, it's going to take an absolute masterclass, I think, for us even to get Champions League football again. Because I, I don't know how he does it, because everything just seems to be going wrong at the minute. Um but hopefully one of the players steps up. I think Pelestri is a, we've seen him, he's a really, really talented player. Um, I think he can step up and I hope Garnacho steps up and people step up in their absence. And obviously as well as Oren was saying there, he can deliver a ball. And with the new striker, um, he is a target man. He is, he's a big, big lad and he's got pace as well. So it is going to be tough, but hopefully one of these young players can step up because we'll have spent money on them. And, uh, Pressure's maybe off a little because they haven't got Anthony and Sancho there. Um and it's it's like a shot to nothing kinda kinda thing. Yeah, I, I do agree. Oren's just stuck in a message into our chat there saying Mount right wing. Uh, that was literally the point I was going to finish up on, Oren, to tell you the truth. I was going to say, you know, w- when we mentioned Bruno there coming to the right, don't want to see Bruno anywhere near it because it takes away from his game. And Mason Mount, of course, I, I, I am in agreement with you here, Oren. I think if Mason Mount was fit, Ten Hag might actually look to go to a midfield three of, you know, Casemiro, Amrabat, Bruno, and then Mount pushed over onto the right-hand side. I think that would have been a realistic possibility for United. And, you know, some of Mount's best football at Chelsea was played on that sort of right mid um, area um, of, of the pitch. That was where he got those those goal contributions from, was either playing on that wide right or wide left area. So I think that if he was fit, that would have been an interesting option that United definitely could have explored. But for the minute, I definitely would just like to see Palestri get his, get his chance in there. Um, so going to move it on then, lads, to our better rivals, Liverpool. And the, uh, the general point that I have here for Liverpool is that the midfield rebuild over the summer could return Liverpool to the top two in the Premier League. I know it's a bit ambitious to say, but I do believe that the areas that they needed to lock down, they have locked down. Gravenberch, Endo, they will do that Fabinho role. They will cover that that defensive workload together. And I do stress together because I don't think either one of them can do it on their own. They have McAllister, they have Sabazle, both hit the ground running, really. Sabazlai especially. I think Sabazlai has been a phenomenal signing so far for Liverpool. So, Oren, question to you is, where do you see Liverpool finishing now that this midfield rebuild is complete? Um, I think it's kind of the same point that we made with Spurs. You know, after four games, it is early days. Um, I am in agreement with you that, you know, they needed to change the midfield and, and they really, by Jovi, they have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I do agree. think I, I fully agree in the sense that Endo and Grabenbach that'll be a together partnership do you know what I mean because I, I, I just I, do, I think I don't I don't know what Grabenbach's going to bring to Liverpool I know he has the ability to be a fantastic player in years to come but I think that a lot of Premier League fans might have their hopes up a little too high for Grabenbach Um you know, he was dubbed as the next big thing. He was dubbed, he was being compared to Jude Bellingham before he went to um, Bayern Munich, and then he couldn't get a kick for Bayern Munich. Um, this fella Endo, he's he's thirty years of age. Um, you know, and not that that's old by any stretch, but um, coming to the Premier League at thirty years of age is, is a big big ask of any player. Um, and look, he has the best defensive numbers in the in the Bundesliga. I think the last couple of years or something like that, or or one of the best. Um, so he's he's definitely a good player, and I'm definitely not taking that away from him. But the Premier League is a different ball game to to the Bundesliga. Do you know what I mean for both of them players? Um, and then yes, Sabozle, he's been absolutely fantastic, and I know he came from the Bundesliga as well. He's been absolutely fantastic. Um, top four, I think, is is their goal. Obviously, um, you know they'd be looking to to push for a title again. I just think it might be a season too quick for them because. I can't see anybody beating Manchester City, to be 100% honest. Um, but yeah, look, they made the improvements in midfield. I do feel that 
the majority of them were very attack-minded and they are lacking that proper defensive midfield structure. Not necessarily defensive midfielder, but midfield structure that they were used to playing. Um, but yeah, look, they've still got Thiago on, on the books and stuff as well, who looks like he'll be playing a bit part role at Liverpool for the next year or so. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's tough to tell. With Liverpool, personally, I think fourth would be a brilliant season for them, but um, because it's a long season, especially with Europa League games and stuff, um, and travelling in the Europa League is, is something that a lot of people don't take into account, travelling to all these different countries, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's a long season, but top four, I would say, yeah, that's a, that's a realistic possibility. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, I completely agree with you on uh, grabbing back uh, Oren. You know, this was a guy who very highly touted at Ajax, was really sort of trying to establish himself as one of the world's most promising young midfielders. And, you know, he arrived at Bayern Munich at a time in Bayern Munich's history where I think when we look back on them, you know, they only won the Bundesliga by a point. There's now questions over Leon Goretzka's future at the club. You know, that was a real chance for Gravenbach to step in and, you know, take a shirt from an established international footballer and a, a renowned midfielder in European football. Um, and he didn't quite do that. So I do think the question marks are there. You know, Endo's not really a household name, but I mean, he has the stats to back it up as such. I mean, maybe this is Liverpool's answer to McFred. Um, maybe this is their new... Uh, comedy partnership in, in midfield. Who knows? Um, I mean, Oren's just pointed out in the chat there. Yeah, completely correct. I mean, Sabitzer, he was behind Sabitzer in, in the in, in the packing order at Bayern Munich. And, you know, they eventually let Sabitzer go in and loan to Man United and he still couldn't get a game for, for Bayern. So, yeah, there's definitely question marks there. Um, but like you said, Oren, they do have Thiago, they do have Bacetic to still to come back from injury. And I do think he's a really promising player, to be honest. I really liked what I've seen from him so far. Connor, obviously the midfield was the the biggest question mark of Liverpool in the summer, but now it seems as though the focus has shifted from the midfield and it is now very much pressed firmly upon Liverpool's defence. Um, I know we'd, I said we would stick to one point, but just quickly on Liverpool's defence. A famous Dutch journalist came out this week and has quoted uh, that he never rated Virgil van Dijk and that he's not back to his best and that he would never was the best centre-back in the world. And that coming from a journalist from your home country is quite damning, to be, to be honest. Look, would you say now, OK, that's midfield patched up for the minute, but defence is really the area that they're going to struggle this season? Yeah, uh, well, the first point I would make, like, never been the best centre-back in the world. The man came second in the Ballon d'Or race and just missed out to Messi. I think maybe there's a bit of bitterness there. I don't know, because that is nonsense, because he was the best centre-back, I think, for two or three years there in the world. Um, I do think he has stepped back a bit. I think Robertson stepped back, and I think Trent as well has been exposed. Um, but when you have that missing, that piece in front of you, as I'm saying, at number six, Fabinho, who did a lot of the dog work and was protecting that back four brilliantly. Um, when, when you lose that and you only get like, you know, Endo obviously has a stats, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Does he, is he going to, you know, suit the Premier League? Is he going to be good enough? But yeah, the defense is going to be an issue. Obviously Gomez stepped in uh, in the last game and, you know, the, the one easily kept a clean sheet. I actually know a few Liverpool fans and they, they were kind of saying to me, they actually play better without Van Dijk. That's how much he has went back. They said, obviously, he was a top, top player, but he has, since the injury, he hasn't been the same player because there's stuff that he used to get away with. You know, just, he's lost that yard of pace, I think, and it, it is costing him. Um, But the one player I actually want to talk about is just Sabazle. Like, I think he is the real deal, and he's only 22, and he was a missing piece for Liverpool. They're missing that number eight, a creative player um, who can score goals and set goals up. I know he hasn't got any assists so far, but I was just saying he has, like, two key passes per game. And he, he's one of their top dribblers as well. So I think he is an unbelievable addition. And we talked about him, I think, in the one of the transfer shows, how good he was in the Bundesliga. And I, I think he will be a top player for Liverpool if he can stay fit, because I know he's had a few injuries. But yeah, that, that is an issue, actually, at the back. I think Trent can get exposed. Robertson step back a bit. Van Dijk, he is the captain, so he is going to start. But, you know, Gomez and Kanate, uh, and obviously they have Matip as well, you could, as the season goes on, you could see, it's crazy to think, but you could see Van Dijk 
see it's hard he's the captain i don't see i don't i can't see him being dropped actually but he, i think he has stepped it back a bit even against um newcastle that red card a few years ago that no way he gives that that tackle in. he gets there before him and he wins that ball but he, he has stepped back but i think that journalist like saying he never was a top center back is that's nonsense yeah, no, I agree, Connor. That is absolutely ludicrous from that journalist to say that. It's like you pointed out, like the man finished second in the Ballon d'Or race, like, and he's a centre back. You know, it's unheard of. It's unheard of. Um, the one thing I will say about Van Dijk boys, and I always look forward to this time of the year because you get excited because the new FIFA ratings are coming out, and you always get excited to see what your team ends up being rated in FIFA. And can I just say, this is a public message to EA. It's an absolute farce that Van Dijk is still rated eighty nine overall. Get out of it, would you? Like, seriously, not a chance. Not a chance. 85 at best. And I'm being honest. I'm being being generous if I'm being honest. But sure, like, Neymar's 89. That's oh. ridiculous as well. Like, it's some of the ratings. Is, it's just because of the, they're obviously, like, poster boys for the game. So they're obviously going to get high ratings. Yeah. No, agreed. Agreed. But sorry, Liverpool fans, if this does trigger you. But it is a farce that Van Dijk's still an 89 rated centre-back because he's pants. Um, moving it on to Newcastle then. Um, so the the general point I have for Newcastle here, lads, is that the first game of the season fooled us all. Um, obviously started the season so so brightly with that massive victory over Aston Villa, but haven't won a game since. And really, what you would say is played Man City, played Liverpool. Yep, two of the hardest teams in the league. You've to they're tough fixtures to play. But if we're being brutally honest, never really threatened Man City's goal. Should have seen the game out against Liverpool and didn't. And last week's performance against Brighton was just uh, an absolute shambles. An absolute shambles from start to finish. So, Oren, general point to you then. Do you do you believe that that first, se- that first game of the season had us all fooled into thinking that Newcastle were this massive powerhouse in English football again? Um, again, I'm, I'm go- I think they're four of the hardest fixtures you can start with. Brighton is always a tough game, especially at the Amex. That's a really, really tough game. Aston Villa, off the back of a great season last year. Really, really tough game. City and Liverpool speak for themselves. Um, so I do feel like, you know, their season kind of starts now. Um, and I think getting... Well, three points was below par for, for, for Newcastle when you think about their season last year <clears throat> excuse me so I'm not going to say it's not but as you said City they only lost 1-0 um, there was no real chances in that game for either side um, apart from the goal you know it was actually quite a boring game when I thought it was going to be electric um, Phil Foden was brilliant that game though he was absolutely fantastic um, and then the Liverpool game yeah they should have seen it out Especially with Liverpool being in 10 men. They should have seen it out. Brighton, I know they lost. Was it 4-1, I think, they lost? I know, 3-1. I watched that game. And I remember saying to you straight away after it that it wasn't an entire reflection of the game, that scoreline. Um, however, you know, it's a results business in the Premier League. It's only going to get more difficult for, for Newcastle in terms of a season. But for the Premier League, I would say their next three or four fixtures, they have to win. They have to win to be back on that, you know, chasing top four for this season. And that that's just the way it is. There's no real margin for error, especially at the start of the Premier League. Um, but, you know, Champions League starts next week. Newcastle in the Champions League for the first time in forever. Like, um, So there's a lot more games going to be played uh, for Newcastle this year. It's going to be a lot tougher. They did sign a few players, but in terms of squad depth for a Champions League squad, I'd say it is still lacking. Um, and it will take a couple of years to get that, but whether they're still in the Champions League for a couple of years is a different story. So I would say the realistic possibility, especially with the improvements we've seen in the likes of Spurs and um, you know Brentford's still up there as well. Um, and we've seen last year that the the race for European places in general was really, really hot. But I would say fighting for Europa League is going to be Newcastle's target this year. Um, and you never know, we could see Newcastle in the Europa League competition before the end of the year. Um, so it is going to get, be difficult for them, but 
you know, they are four four difficult fixtures to start with, and it is early days. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next three or four games, but they, they really should be winning the next three or four games if they have any ambition of getting top four again this year. Yeah, definitely, Oren. Look, they are difficult fixtures, no doubt about that, but, I mean, when you actually analyse the performances, like, three games in a row, they recorded four shots. Only four shots in 90 minutes of football. And, Connor, like, when I made the statement that they fooled us all, you know, me and you, you know, were very, very hot on Isaac, very hot on Wilson. You know, we really thought that Barnes had come in and, and was looking to be a quality player. Gordon had started the season fantastically as well, you know. And these guys just haven't really produced since that first game, especially looking at Isaac. I mean, he's been taken off basically at uh, just after halftime or at halftime in, in every game since the first game of the season. So does it worry you at all that, you know, they're in the group of death of the Champions League, you know, the PSG, Milan, Dortmund to contend with. And really, when you look at that squad on paper, you know, I did make the joke during one of our transfer episodes that Howe was signing players as if he was still the Bournemouth manager, aside from Tenali. You know, does it worry you that games are coming thick and fast, they're playing some of the toughest competition in European football, and they just might be a little bit out of their depth? Yeah, definitely. I kind of said that on the last podcast after uh, the loss to Brighton, that, you know, defensively, they're not good enough. You know, you're starting Dan Burns and centre-back, who got exposed by... Darwin Nunes in the previous game. Um, they're playing boys like Matt Target, a left back, who couldn't get in the Villa side. Uh, obviously, if you lose, they lost Batman, who is a really good centre back, and you know we've talked highly of him uh, the last year or so. But if they lose one defender, they're in big trouble. Like Lascelles is their the guys looking at their bench. Like Lascelles, their only other real centre back, and no offense to Lascelles, but he's not good enough to play in a Champions League side. Um, and he's sparking ways out on the night out. Yeah, he's getting in the but also like Pope. <laughs> Too many Jager uh, bombs. I can't. <laughs> he's a big lad, but Pope, he's also struggling. You know, like they've spent I, like their squads. I seen their squads the ninth most expensive in the world, and you wouldn't really think think so when you look look at the, the depth of it. Um, they conceded a lot of goals. I would be really worried. Worried. Um. Obviously, we talked about Isaac, and we talked him up. And we were saying he's going to get twenty plus goals, and he hasn't scored yet or since. So, you know, we jinxed him there. But uh, Almiron, he played okay against Liverpool, but I'd be worried about him. Gordon, actually, he's been a bit better than I thought he would be. But yeah, if I was a Newcastle fan, I'd be very worried, especially with the games coming up. The depth isn't there, and I think Eddie Howe. I think if or if you, as you said about Europa League, if he gets Europa, he's going to get sacked. There's no way they're going to go. I think they'll go for a big name manager. I did they get off? That's the only thing last year I seen it. The first seven games only had eight points and still got top four. But the depth of the Premier League, this you know, the quality is a lot better this year, so they'll not get away with that. So I think if they're sitting about eighth or ninth, you know, 16, 17 games in, I, I can see Eddie Howe getting sacked, which is crazy to think because he's done a great job, but I can see it because they'll want a big name manager. Uh, cutthroat business the Premier League there's no point in saying otherwise because it is and that was a bit of a debate we had um on on our previous episode guys so if you want to see me and Connor debate um about whether Newcastle might look to replace Howe or where the next step is for Newcastle please go and give that episode a listen um gonna move it on then lads to our second last team Brighton um the general point I have here is that UEFA Champions League qualification could be a real possibility for Brighton um, look, we're, I think we're every football fan in the country and across the UK is under no illusions that, you know, Roberto De Zerbi probably will get a big, big job next summer. And I think really the interesting thing is if he was to push Brighton to say a fourth, would he, would he want to stay on there? You know, you've got arguably the best recruitment department in world football. So you know that you're going to be able to churn out and find new perspective talents. The performance levels only seem to be getting better and better from Brighton. You have an 18-year-old Irish striker, Evan Ferguson, in there who is getting such high praise from people that are calling him a guaranteed world superstar. You know, Oren, look, is that too bold a claim to make that Champions League is on the cards? Or do you think maybe it's still a season too early for Brighton just yet? 
Um, no, I, I, I wouldn't say it's out of the realms of possibility. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think they will get Champions League this year. Um, however, this, they have two chances. You know, they're, they're in the Europa League and they, they have the chance through the league as well. Um, it's going to be it's going to be difficult for them, of course, as, we, as we've said on multiple teams that we've talked about so far. The quality at the top of the Premier League is really, really high this year. I think we could all predict the, the three teams that are going to go down, to be 100% honest. I think towards the bottom of the table, you know, relegation's almost confirmed for, for three teams based off, you know, the first four games. Because I just don't think the teams that came off from the championship are any quality whatsoever for the Premier League. Um, but look, they could prove me wrong. I'm not going to say they couldn't. Um, but in terms of Brighton, you know, it's not off the cards. We've talked about squad depth there with Newcastle. Brighton don't have the household names, but you don't have to have the household names of Brighton and Hove Albion because you know, you just trust their recruitment at this stage. Um, like they've signed that fella from from Lille, I think his name's Balaba or Bernaba or something. Um, yeah, Balaba. Balaba, you just know he's going to be absolutely fucking class. Do you know what I mean? Because they paid like 25 million for him. And Brighton don't spend big fees. So if they're spending a big fee, this boy's going to be a superstar. Um. And then the likes of Ferguson, they've Joe Pedro, um, Matoma, they're attacking depth. Solly March has been absolutely fantastic under Zerbe. You know, I think they really have a good chance. And then they've done uh, Donny Welbeck in behind that as well, who I still think has still got it, especially in the bit part role that he will play at Brighton. Um, you know, he's not going to start every game, but he will come into the team at times. And, you know, what a role model for Evan Ferguson to have in Donny Welbeck there, somebody who's, you know, won the Premier League. Um, you know, he's done it at Arsenal and he's done it at Manchester United. He's been a journeyman in the Premier League as well. Great experience for a young a young striker like Evan Ferguson, who will only improve under that guidance as well. Um, in terms of Deserby, we've already seen his influence in terms of transfers as well, with Ansu Fadi coming in, having been heavily touted to go to Tottenham Hotspurs, um, who were flying high under Ange Postacoglu so far. Um, so, you know, players in world football want to play for uh, for, for Deserby. Um, the point about him potentially moving if they got top four, Deserby does have that tendency to move after a couple of years. He's quite like Conte, Conte in that sense. However, getting Brighton to the top four, I think it would depend on what job comes up. I don't think he would just jump at the next job that came. Like if that was Chelsea, if it was Potter, if it was the same situation as Potter and Chelsea sacked Potts, after a couple of games and they wanted Deserbe, I don't think he's going. Do you know what I mean? I think it really will depend on the club that comes for him. And he'll have no shortage of clubs. Um, but yeah, Brighton, Brighton will be a force this season. And we, we know what to expect from Brighton now, especially in the Premier League. It's always going to be a tough fixture, both home and away. And um, Man United will have their, their work cut out for them on Saturday. Um, but yeah, I expect a big, big season for Brighton again this year. Yeah, definitely, Orn. Definitely, I think you raised some some really good points there. Um, and and it is going to be a, a really really interesting one for for Brighton this season. Connor, look, we've just talked about the host of talent. Um, the 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 thing I want to put to you is, you know, we've seen Southampton sort of have a similar model where they were always great at producing these talents, and you know they would really stamp their authority on the Premier League. But then Southampton would always sell them, and and this model eventually got them relegated. This, you know. We produce the talent. We sell the talent for big money, um, and we're we're always looking for the next big thing that's going to make us eighty, ninety, one hundred million pounds. Do you think it's more sustainable at Brighton? Do you believe that their the, the world renowned recruitment department that they have has enough to keep a project like this going in the long term? Yeah, but it's going to come down to you know getting European football because then you can keep these players and obviously sell them on for more money because you're in a position. Premier League's in a different position these days as well because it makes so much money off TV deals and stuff like that. Brighton can go spend money on players. They can keep players, like we've seen it with Casado. They didn't just take the first offer. You know, it was like a bidding war and they got over $120 million for them. Um, but they're, they're such an exciting team. And I think, you know, Deserby is a top coach. And as we said, I think he's one of the best in the Premier League, if not the world, and the recruitment is off the charts. And some of the players have even improved, like Gilmore, you know, uh, Matoma's come in, Marsh, uh, Feltman, like even Dunk, he played for England the other day. Like he, he's a good player, good centre-back. Um, 
Milner's come in. They still have like boys like Lamptey, Lalana, good experience. It's a good blend. Um, obviously Ferguson, unbelievable talent, well back. Uh, Champions League will be tough, but if there's five positions and the way they're playing, there's always a chance. For me, it's just with Brighton, they do get caught out against some of the weaker opposition, um, like West Ham aren't weaker opposition, but they got caught out against West Ham. They were the far better side, but they just got counterattacked, and that would worry me. But they brought, they brought Veltman back in, and then they dropped um, Webster. And the next game against Newcastle, they were they were very, very good. So I think top six, you know, they, they got uh, Europa League last year. If the fifth position comes in, it's definitely a, it's a, it's a possibility. They're 12 goals this season as well. Um, The recruitment is just amazing, and I think a lot of teams are kind of lagging behind in that regard. Um, but a lot of the recruitment will depend on keeping the Zerbe and getting European football because if they keep the Zerbe and they get European football, they're just going to keep going from strength to strength. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, the thing about Brighton is, and I, I, I will 100% stand by this comment, and this is no sense of bias in this comment whatsoever, but from Roberto De Zerbe has come in to the Premier League, Brighton have the highest um, XG um, of any Premier League team. And I know for a fact, lads, that if Man City were on the TV and Brighton were on the TV, I'd rather watch Brighton. And that's genuinely no bias, like no sense of bias in saying that because City are obviously incredible. But I just think the way that De Zerbe plays football is, I think he, he, he could be the next Pep Guardiola. I think he's the next guy to revolutionise football. Um, And I know that that might be a bit of a statement to make, but I, I really, really do think he is the next guy in world football that everybody's going to want and everybody's going to want to replicate. Um, well, Pep said that. Pep said they're the most exciting side when they played them last year. So I would agree with you as well. I think they're probably the most exciting team in the Premier League to watch. Yeah, I, 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 and I do. Like, lad, I really, really do stand by that. Um, so on to our last team then of this episode, lads, um, Chelsea. Uh, the overriding comment that I have here is that Poch needs more time to get it right. Now, I have a feeling this is going to cause a little bit of a debate. That's why I left Chelsea to last. Um, in my opinion, I believe he needs that time because in terms of the underlying numbers of Chelsea, it's incredibly positive. Yes, they don't have the points on the board, but in terms of expected points, so that accumulates your XG, your possession ones, sort of stats like that there and accumulates it and tries to gather your points. Um, in terms of their expected points, they should be third in the league. Um, so, Oren, I know you're not, not that you're not a fan of Poch as such, but you have been quite openly cr- critical on this this podcast of him. So, what's your take on a point like that? Do you think he deserves more time or do you think that Chelsea have made the wrong appointment here completely? No, like, uh, I try, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm critical necessarily of Poch mon- Poch's management style because I do think he's a good manager. I just think his credibility as a manager is overhyped considering his, his honours. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I think he was an absolutely fantastic appointment by Chelsea. Um, but I'm very much of the opinion that I agree with you, Connor. He deserves the time, but at Chelsea Football Club, you do not get the time. And I genuinely think he's three or four. I know, I know. There's um, expected points that should be third, but based on their actual results, and if them results, even if they play well in the next three or four games, if there's four losses, he's gone. And that's just the Chelsea philosophy, in my humble opinion. I think that's what would happen. Not that he would deserve it. Um, but what I have said about Chelsea in the past, and I said it um, when we talked about Chelsea and Spurs, and I made that, that was, it was my last opinion of the week, um, they've signed too many players. They've signed too many players for big fees, all in the same position. And to be 100% honest, when you look at their starting 11 on paper, it hasn't exactly improved. You know, Moises Cassetto has come in. Yes, he's going to improve the team eventually. They signed Romeo Lavia for £60 million. You know, he's not going to play over Moises Cassetto, who they signed for £115 million. It's just not how it works. Nodi Madueke isn't good enough to start in that right wing. He Look, he's a young player, and I don't disagree with Chelsea's signing of him, but he's not good enough to start just yet. Nicholas Jack- Jackson, I do think, is good enough to start, and I, I do think he'll lead the line for Chelsea this season. Um, But I just feel that they've signed too many players, and... I don't necessarily think all of them were Poch's signings, and I think that's a big problem at Chelsea, that there is a huge influence from that new owner, Todd Bowley. Um, and I think he 
Wolves looks at the, who, what other teams are, are looking for in a player and then he just pops more money on and, and, and signs them. Um, I don't necessarily think he knows a lot about football and that could be a controversial statement, but um, I don't know. I don't I don't know if he's a big football fan or whatever, but um, I don't know. I just think they've signed too many players for their own good and I think that will be a real hindrance for them this season. Not to say that they don't have quality players because they obviously do, but you can only put 11 players on the pitch at one time. Um, and moulding all these players, we said with the likes, we used Kayseda was as a prime example. They signed quite a lot of players when the Premier League already started. You know, those types of players should have been getting a pre-season under Pochettino to, for him to be fully implementing his style on that team. Because it's not like Chelsea wouldn't spend the money. So I do think that they've signed players a bit too late and I think that will hinder them for the first few weeks of the season especially. Um, and we've seen that already. But I think that will carry on beyond the international break because a lot of them were international players. Um, so they still wouldn't have kind of got that two weeks with Pochettino there for him to mould the style of football on. So I think it'll be a slow start for Chelsea. I'm not saying that they won't end up with the European players because it is very possible. It's within the realms of possibility. Um, but I don't think it'll be smooth sailing for Chelsea this season. Well, it is interesting because from what I've seen from Chelsea this season, you know, I think Sterling's playing his best football in a Chelsea shirt. You know, I think Potts has really, really got Sterling playing some of his best football, even on the ball and creatively. You know, Sterling's doing things for Chelsea now that he wasn't necessarily doing at Manchester City, and I think he has adopted his game. Uh, Jackson's underlying numbers, I completely agree with you, Warren. I think he's good enough to lead the lane. This is a player that I was very positive about over the summer and um, I I thought was a really, really good sign. And look, he has missed some big chances. There's no point in saying otherwise. And um, his underlying numbers are suggesting that there should be more goals to, to come from Nicholas Jackson. Um, Caicedo, yeah, didn't get that time to bed in Lavia. Look, I've seen a lot of Chelsea fans online, um, Connor, suggesting that Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo and Romeo Lavia should be the midfield three when Lavia is fit. Does that disrupt the balance of the team? Or do you think that's a nice combination in midfield that could push Chelsea on? Well, they've spent the money on them, so I take it they're they're going to have to pay them. That's like a what is that? Nearly three hundred million combined on the three of them. So yeah, yeah. they're going to have to play them. I, with I understand what you're saying about Jackson. He is really good to watch, but you know his finishing isn't good enough. Against Forest, he should have scored. Against Liverpool, he missed countless chances. Against West Ham, he missed chances. I think we could have been looking at a different perspective of Chelsea if he could finish because. I watched uh, the West Ham game and Chelsea with the better side. I thought Sterling, as you said, Connor, was unbelievable. I think this season he has been brilliant. And I don't know where it's come out of because every game he's been really, really impressive. And, you know, Chilwell, Reese James injured again. I, I, I do actually think Chelsea have a side that can get European football. Definitely, results will start going their way. I I do believe that. I think that as you watching them, you're like this side isn't bad. Obviously, they've spent. I've seen they're like they're worth nearly a billion their squad. So obviously, they're gonna have to be good eventually. But I think they just gotta give Potts time. And I think even like they give Potter pilot time. Like he lost so many games, and they just stuck with him for ages and ages. And then eventually, it was just the time had to. He had to go. They just lost so many games, but they gotta stick with Potts. You know, it's just it is a number nine. Like they've spent so much money, and I do rate Jackson. I think he is a decent player, but his finishing is not up to standard. And to spend that much money and not to have an out and out striker that can finish is crazy. I've seen they're getting linked to Tony. I think that will be a good addition. I think that'll be a really good player for them to get. Um, maybe not the most glamorous name. That's the thing with Chelsea as well. You know, they had like Lukaku, Higuain, you know, by Aubameyang, Morata, all like glamorous names didn't really perform. But I think. If they could go out there and get like a Tony who's going to get you nearly, tw- I'd say he'd get in that Chelsea side 15, 20 goals uh, a season at least. I, I think Chelsea aren't as far away as people think. And like even Potts saying after matches, they're very, they were very unlucky. But that is the thing though. Like I'm saying these kind of things, but they've spent so much money. So you, like to spend that much money, you'd expect a side to be challenging for the league, which they're not doing. And they are still a wee bit, they are still a far, like if you look at City there, they're, they're miles behind them still. 
Yeah, look, I think that's a fair enough statement to make, to be honest, lads. I mean, for the money spent to not have a number nine that's guaranteed, you know, to get you those 15, 20, 25 goals in the Premier League is is almost criminal in itself. But look, I, I am of the opinion that Poch will get it right. I, I really, really rate Poch as a manager. And, and, and I do think that, you know, given the, the correct time, Chelsea will be a much stronger side with Poch than than if they sacked them um but look that's going to do it for this week's folk uh, this week folks um and just to give you a little update on the podcast's future um so that we we sort of sat down and, and we had a, a bit of a look at our analytics and you know what was doing well and what wasn't doing so well for us and to be honest guys we've kind of come to the conclusion that these long form podcasts probably aren't the best way forward um all of our interactions on social media and all of our big interactions on social media are coming from a lot of short form content now this is not us announcing that we're giving the podcast up or anything like that that's the complete opposite but what we're going to be doing is we're actually going to be producing short form content videos um, from now on um we're going to have a bit of a trial run here for the next three months at creating content that's geared um, on YouTube and Spotify specifically to around the 10 to 15 minute mark. Um, and then our socials are going to be absolutely littered with uh, short reels or even shorter videos on specific topics within football. So what we what you might end up seeing eventually on the Bottom Bins podcast is for talk's sake, um, rather than us running through every single Premier League game um, that week, Connor and Oren might jump on and do a quick review of the Manchester United game. Myself and Connor might jump on to do a quick review of the Liverpool game. Myself and Oren then might jump on and do a quick review of, say, Chelsea or West Ham or somebody. That's how we're going to gear our content from now on. Um, and our content is going to primarily be be centered around that sort of short form um, ideology. Oren, do, do you want to expand on it a wee bit more? I feel like you could probably give it more justice than I will. Yeah, so just looking at the basic analytics of, of the channels, you know, we're not seeing the growth that we're seeing. We're not seeing the growth in terms of our hour and a half or our long podcasts as we're seeing with our, you know, our reels, our TikToks, um, our, our short form uh, YouTube shorts, you know. Um, so we've just, you know, me, me and Richie kind of sat down the other day and I explained all this. And, you know, I went I went to Prague there for like a journalism boot camp. Um, and I spoke to a lot of professionals that are high up in the journalistic world and you know I was speaking to them about the podcast trying to get advice from them and stuff and they all kind of suggested the same thing that until the growth is there with the podcast you know people don't really care about um, watching an hour-long podcast about football um, whenever there's thousands and thousands of other podcasts doing the exact same thing um, and you know we upload on a Wednesday, so by then it is kind of old news as well. And we, we knew that as well. We, we came to that realisation, but just with different schedules and stuff, that is the way it had to be for the three of us. Um, but this new strategy that we're going to implement on a trail run, you know, it's not it's not that it's set in stone that this is the way the bottom bins is going to be for the for the, for the the future, but for a trail run over the next three, three or four months, we're going to try this short-form comp that it makes it, a lot easier for us to produce content for you because we're not, you know, if it's only 10 or 10 or 15 minutes, it's not a whole pile of time out of our schedule because it is very busy for us all now at the minute and um, that we're out of university. Um, but, you know, this is content that will come to you directly after a game or the day after a game. So it's fresh in your head. The game's fresh in your head. The content that we're going to be producing is so fresh. You know, it is, it's, it's as if it's ink straight onto the paper. It's not even dried okay um so we think it'll be better for you because you're getting our unbiased opinion straight away um rather than after having a week to dissect and other people dissecting it throughout the week and you know us potentially taking on bias from other people's opinions um <clears throat> and we just think this strategy in terms of growing the podcast and making the content you know suited to each viewer not necessarily somebody who is going to listen to an hour-long podcast we were also looking at analytics in terms of the people who, in, in our views, in terms of time watched on our podcast, and it was very much around that 10 to 15 minute range. Um, some of the short form content that we had made before on our podcast, especially on YouTube, that's where we were seeing our highest views. Um, so makes sense for us. We think it makes sense for, for the future, for well, for the near future of the podcast, and we think it makes sense for, for, for our viewers as well. Um, so yeah. For the next three or four months, it'll be short form content from the bottom bits. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. And look, guys, to those of you who do consistently sit down and watch our podcast, listen to us on Spotify, watch us on YouTube, we just want to say a massive thank you because, yeah, look, sometimes we do look at it and we go, oh, you know, only 25 less, only 25 views over the two platforms this week. Um, whereas, we're, you know, we're looking at our socials and we're like, oh, this TikTok video got 2.2K views or, or oh, this TikTok video got 6.7K views. You know, it makes more sense for us to aim at getting views and follows and trying to up those subscriber counts. And the best way to do that is through short form content at the minute. Um, because a lot of people just don't really want to listen to an hour-long podcast. So look, if you are one of those loyal listeners who tunes in for the hour-long podcast every week, we don't want you to feel left out, which is why there is, rather than it being set as a one-hour podcast, you're just going to get more content thrown at you, but it's just going to be a shorter listening span of of, of time. Um, but yes, look, thank you so much um, to everybody who listened to us. Thank you for all the support. Um, thanks for listening to this episode. And as always, keep a bottom bent. Keep a bottom bent. Keep a bottom bent.